Welcome to The Experience of You, a podcast on how to own your personal brand and have the mindset to get your goals and live your dreams. People who lead with an authentic and positive personal brand create the ultimate experience for others. And when they do, they get what they want, personally and professionally. It's not about likes and followers. Don't let others dictate your brand. Take control of it and own it. Throughout this podcast, brilliant people will help you learn how. I'm Dave Thompson, and here's this week's guest. Welcome to the Experience of You. We're going deep on the student-athlete experience today with a guest who's lived it and guided it from every possible angle. As a head coach, athletic director, NCAA compliance officer, in leadership role for DCIAA, the Interscholastic Athletic Association, and also as a broadcaster for Heritage Sports Radio Network doing NCAA football and basketball. Mark Harrison has been at Coppin State, Morgan State, Bowie State, the University of the District of Columbia, Cheney University, and Howard University. Mark, you've got incredible experience. Looking forward to sharing this conversation with you and and what you've done in your career to help student-athletes. So thanks for joining. Absolutely. It's a pleasure, Dave. Good to see you. So let's jump right into an interesting question here. You've had all of this experience through the years, starting as your own two-sport athletic career at Bucknell University. And tell me what you think colleges do have have areas to improve in offering the student athlete the preparation they need to get into the to take the next world to get ready for the business world. Well, Dave, I, I appreciate having me on. I appreciate it's always good to hang with some uh, herd for life folks and Woodbury folks. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I've I've actually seen the whole gambit, man. I've, I've I've been there as a student athlete in the '80s, you know, to coaching in the '90s and the early 2000s, and moving to administration throughout the 2000s, even being up up towards a uh, Division One head coach, you know, as recently as 2017. Um, and it's been, I mean, light years of movement, Dave. I mean, these guys back in the day, it was, you know, in the '80s, you know, back in the day, it was, you know, but. To be, you could just look as far back as the eligibility requirements. Just to be a college student athlete in the 80s, all you needed was a 2.0 and a 700, you know, which is that really setting a kid up for success for college. You're talking about institutions of higher learning. You're talking about higher learning, and you're coming in with a 2.0 in a public school system. You know, is that really setting a kid up for success? Yeah. Um, you lead into, you know, where you get into the 90s, and now they create the clearinghouse. The clearinghouse is now, you know, you had to have a certain GPA to match a certain SAT score to be to ensure the success. So it started becoming a problem and people started noticing it. Even as much as now when the nineties and then in the two thousands, you started with the APR, the academic progress rate, where you would see coaches were now getting penalized if the athletes were not making annual progress towards their degree. There was a there was a progress to a degree requirement for student athletes. So the NCAA was doing its due diligence to make it happen, but there were still ways to slip through the cracks. Mm-hmm. I mean, people, you know, on those what are called now power five schools, these schools were definitely, you know, just basically a gateway to the pros. You know, a gateway to the pros. We just we're gonna keep you eligible. We don't care if you can read. <laughs> we're gonna just give you these go classes, you know, and get you there. Um you know, I went to an, an academic institution where the focus was academics. They didn't want athletics to overshadow the reputation of the school. So 
I learned about, you know, the academics first and even being a Woodbury, you know, student athlete, you know, we learned about the importance of academics. We even had what, scholar athlete, you had to have a certain GPA and a certain amount of varsity letters. And you got your bright yellow jacket, you know, to be a student athlete uh, award winner. But to answer your question, what they do now, there's several programs NCA has instituted. Um, it's been, you know, close to 20 years now where they've been doing the Champs Life, Champs Life Skills Program. Um, Champs is an acronym that stands for Challenging Athletes Lines for, Perfect, for Personal Success. Um, so those things are involved. Even They'll hire a person to do that. Um, even as much now, I have a good friend that's uh, uh, the director of player development and culture from University of Maryland football. So his whole job, and he's a doctor. He has a doctor in edu- doctorate in education. You know, he's a PhD doctor, Henry Frazier, who is in charge of making sure that these young men's lives are being shaped in the correct way so that they become effective, you know, citizens, fathers, brothers, uncles, you know, and effective people in a society to help and have ways to succeed off of the field. So it's a growing field, um, but colleges have a lot because everybody doesn't have a Dr. Frazier on their campus. Yeah. Or schools are starting to go towards it because this is an ongoing topic where people are concerned. Like, hey, my son is the third string quarterback behind two kids that are going to go to the NFL. What, what's my son going to do now? You know, because he's not going to the NFL. He's going to have a great academic experience, a great athletic experience. But what about his personal experience? What is he going to do for personal growth? So, you know, the universities are on that, are doing well at that. Um, some schools are better than others. Um, the rich are going to get richer. Like I said, I'm speaking of my guy that's at University of Maryland, but what about that guy at Bowie State? That's a division two small HBCU that can't afford to pay a, a doctor to come in and be the, 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 the director of, you know, personal uh, player development and culture. They can't do that. So those kids suffer. But there are way more kids in Division Two and Division Three schools than there are in Division One. So, you know, it's it's a it's a dual-edged sword where the rich get richer, the poor have to find a way to do it. And that was kind of like my lifeline is when I was an administrator at Bowie State or at UDC. You know, I was a director of compliance. I was associate athletic director. I was director of student services. So you had to play a bunch of different roles. But um, not everybody's ready for that because nobody's going to come out of college now looking to make thirty five, forty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. But there, there's a there's a long road to go and the NCA's on the right path um as far as with those culture and diversity folks that are coming in and this chance life skills programs are growing and they're hiring more more qualified and and, and, and people in those positions to help these folks get better. That's outstanding. Talk about then the impact also in women's sports. You spent your um, large majority of your career coaching um, track athletes, uh, men and women. And you were familiar with uh, John Cheney at Temple and, and John Thompson, who advocated for uh, equality in, in, in education opportunities, as well as then what came in with, I believe it was Title IX, um, forcing colleges to offer the same opportunities for women. So you've been involved in 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 that dynamic and how that shifted over your career as well. Yeah, well, just to touch on Title IX, a lot of people, let's, let's just, just destroy all the misconceptions about Title IX. Title IX is a gender equity rule um, where, you know, there must be same amount of money, money spent, personnel, all of that stuff has to be equal. So, yeah, I benefited a lot. I mean, even if you look at the trophies in the back, a lot of them are – I got my CIAA Coach of the Year for women's track. We won the CIAA championship. You know, I've had several All-Americans. 
uh, that are female track and field athletes. Um, so yeah, we took advantage of it because we were on, on a campus where there was football. If there's football, there has to be gender equity, and somewhere along the line, they're going to say one of the sports is going to have to balance. I've been on campuses where an athletic director says, hey, I want 100 females on the track team, okay? But the men's squad is going to be locked at 20 or 25. So, mm-hmm. um, but the Title IX thing is not just about the sports. It's about the experience. Like we were talking about experiences and preparing these folks for success after college. The reason why Title IX was created was because back in those days in the 50s, you know how it was, male-dominated society. The boardrooms are all predominantly white males. Um in every position of power, there was a, a, a male that was running things. Women weren't allowed to go certain places. And then when women started trickling into those places. They didn't have the, the background that these men had. And, yeah. you know, student athletes have, you know, every intangible that, that an employer would want, you know, time management, pressure situations, working with others, leadership, all those type of things. I always related it to this, like a female, like I've had females that have, you know, been on that national stage. Okay, in the finals of a of a national championship meet, that's a lot more pressure than a deadline that a that a boss can give you. You know, so if a boss says, "Hey, I need this done by Tuesday," oh, I only need it till Tuesday. You know, so you know these females needed those experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, track and field and basketball, softball, field hockey, soccer. You know, swimming and diving, those type of situations with those females in those pressure situations, it makes them better people. And like, like the show was talking about, prepares them for success after college. Because like I said, I always related to, to, to myself. You know, if I, if I had a deadline, a guy comes and says, Hey, we need this done by the end of the day. That's nowhere near the pressure of third and 15 and you're in the huddle and the call is ready break. And you know that quarterback and the quarterback grabs you by the, by the shirt and says, Hey, I'm coming your way. That's a lot more pressure than dealing with somebody telling me I got to have something done by the end of the day. Right. So that's where athletics, and that's why I encourage all students, in all students, to get involved in some kind of athletic, you know, athletic sports. And if you're in one sport, make sure you get involved in, you know, multiple sports because you can learn different roles, decide, learn, work with different people, you know, learn how to take directions from different kind of folks. It all benefits you as a whole when you're growing. That's, you know, you make a great point about the experiences because what I've found at Temple is that so many kids do not know how to share their either athletic or their performance experiences or their leadership roles and translate that into the value they're going to provide in the job market. Absolutely. So they're not, they're, they don't know how to tell that story yet. Yeah. And I guess that's what some of those programs like Champs and, um, and others that you're, your friend is handling at the uh, University of Maryland or helping people do is, is translate their, their uh, experiences into, into sharing potential value. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, 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 it's a needed field. And, you know, we're dealing in a society that's, you know, full of, let's, let's just call it what it is. These entitled athletes, you know, um, had a conversation with my 15 year old son who was battling for the quarterback job at his high school. You know, I'm asking him, what's your why? You know, you're not, you're not from the hood. You know, you're, you're from a cul-de-sac with a two-car garage, dude. You you know, you don't have the stories that you see on ESPN. I said, but what happens is a lot of folks don't understand. There are a lot of stories of young men that do well with the support systems. Mm-hmm. Not, not every black kid comes from the hood. You know, not every successful kid went through turmoil and, and all kinds of stuff to get to that pinnacle of their, of their sport. So we, we learned that, you know, a lot of folks need to just, Accept where they're from, 
and enhance what they have. So, you know, you're dealing with an entitlement generation. You know, everything is there for them. You know, you were a generation before me playing with my older brothers. Mm-hmm. You know, coaches could say to you and do to you in the 70s was similar to what they could do in the 80s to me, but nowhere near what a coach can say to a kid, you know, in 2021. Yes. If I had, God rest his soul, Bruce Connell, you know, at the Woodbury Steelers, if he said some of the things he said to me, which shaped me to be the man that I am now, I can't imagine him saying that to my son. My son would probably take it because I probably said the same damn thing. But, you know, if a coach you know, says it to a kid, you know, I mean, I've had, I, I can, I can give it a, a complete testimony when I was a coach. I, I, I won't name the school, but I had a great relationship with one of my athletes. Um, and she was an, uh, a conference champion for me, a uh, national qualifier. Um, from the Philadelphia area. So, you know, we had a lot of relate, a lot of a great relationship. Um, and I caught her on campus eating a slice of pizza one day. And I knew that she, that was not in her diet. So when she came to practice Easter, I said, Hey, I saw you with that damn slice of pizza. I was like, we're not home. We're not home in Philly or Jersey and on, and on summer break. You can't shovel your mouth full of crap and think that you're going to be ready to come out here and perform. So. She laughed it off, like, okay, coach, you caught me, you caught me, I got you, I got you. And everybody else laughed because they knew, you know, because she was a big girl. She was like five, nine, you know, 160 pounds, all muscle. And um, everybody was laughing, like, oh, coach caught you. Oh, she caught, you thought you was walking on the yard with a slice, didn't get caught. But I got called into the Title IX office the next day because someone walking by the track overheard me body shaming one of my athletes. Ooh. Yeah. So that's the society we live in. Mm. So nothing came of up. Nothing came of it because actually, thank God, the person that was in charge of the uh, the Title IX office um, was a college track athlete. She had run track herself. And she was like, we know that student athletes are supposed to have a certain diet and, you know, to perform optimally and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, you just got to we have to tell you, make sure you don't do it again. And of course, I was like, I'll never bring it up again. Yeah. But that's the society that we live in. So, you know, we're dealing with that type of athlete that's been coddled, entitled, and everything given for them. And now, to answer your question, for them to have to express themselves and not text it and not email it and not post it on a social media, now for them to, you know, have to physically stand in front of people and perform, uh, uh, you know, to talk. You know, we're in a society, communication is a lost art. So, um, and like I said, I, I love what you're doing at Temple because, you know, you're, you're addressing these issues and it's going to spread, you know, and, you know, like I said, you have my support, you know, Temple's only two hours away. I'll, I'd love coming right there. Maybe I'll get myself a slice of pizza. <laughs> <laughs> well, talk about positivity because you just went into something that's very interesting, how we were raised and we were raised and, and coaching could be intimidation and, you know, outright bullying and all and all of this stuff. And nowadays it's, uh, it's migrated fortunately to a largely positive experience where motivation is based in doing the right thing, always trying to find the right trigger, but doing the right thing. So, um, you had mentioned before in our previous conversation, the positive coaching alliance at, in yeah. the DC schools. Talk about that and how, yeah. and, and what they're, what the value that they're adding to the experience. Yeah, um, Positive Coaching Alliance is a nationwide program. You can go on their website, and, and I don't want to serve too much of a commercial for them, 
But um, they they do great things as far as workshops and teaching coach, coaching the coaches, learning how what society we're in, how how to deal with the, the student athletes, um, and just look learn, teaching you best practices. Um, there's you know coaching is not a, a boxed in you know profession. Everybody can't do it the same way. So they keep it, you know, kind of at the 30,000 foot level with the best, best ways to do things. Uh, Vision Quest is another one that we deal with at the DCIAA. They, um, and that's a bunch of ex NFL football players. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, you have a lot of programs, um, all in sports in South Jersey, um, from a guy from, from Defford University, one of the Harvey boys. Uh, he has a program up there that I serve as a consultant for. Um, and, uh, I can't remember the name of it. I got to find the name of it. Uh, but there was a former former coach at Woodrow Wilson High School, uh, Mike McBride, has a program called uh, it's, it's something about coaching the coaches. Um, mm-hmm. As a consultant with them too, and I'm terrible because I can't be a consultant if I don't know the name of it. But I know Mike McBride. I know Mike, uh, Mike McBride is a uh, is the guy that's going to get it done. I'm going to look it up right quick so I can uh, find him. I, I feel terrible that I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> I'll tell you later. But uh, yeah. Mike, I apologize if you're listening. But uh, he's brought me in. He does he does a lot of stuff as far as coaching the coaches and um, and getting them involved. So the experience of of uh, dealing with the modern athlete that it's the up. Wings Project. I'm sorry, the Wings Project. Okay. The Wings Project. It's a um, it's a leadership mastermind of teaching uh, of teaching coaches. That's that's what it is. That's great. The great, the, it's called the Wings Project, where he's dealing with positive coaching, um, and it's a good program uh, to get involved with as well. So, talk about dealing with the modern student athlete who's grown up in social media, and over and overcoming. So, you're you're doing two things. You're trying to win. You're trying to shape a, a student athlete. You're trying to help them prepare for what's next. Yet they're caught in a world that communicates by text how do you deal with that how do you overcome that what what's what what was your experiences teaching these folks on a on a daily basis oh man yeah well i'll take it back even further when the 80s were going on when i was playing high school football and you know my oldest brother rocky georgia tech alum um he told me sports center was going to destroy generations of athletes and I never understood it. Now I do because everybody began playing for the highlight, not playing for the team, not necessarily playing for the win. But remember, remember the old three yards in a cloud of dust. That doesn't happen anymore. They're going to get three yards and shake and bake and spin and run and try to do everything. They might fumble. They might do something simple. You know, receiver catch the ball instead of running as far as they can, as fast as they can. They're going to shake and bake and cut across the line and all that kind of stuff, or the de- on the defensive side, they're going to try to make the big hit instead of the safe tackle. Um, baseball players swinging for the fences because chicks take the long ball. So they're just swinging for the fences, and, you know, pitchers overthrowing because you got to hit 100 miles an hour. That was the beginning. You move into this social media space where we're in now, goodness gracious, all they do all day is see YouTube, Bleacher Report, Sports Center. You know, highlights of the day, top 10 sport. I want to be like that. And they don't necessarily realize that there's a whole game going on. I challenge my, my son and, and his friends to watch an entire football game, to watch an entire nine inning baseball game. 
you know, to watch a four-quarter basketball game, you know, to watch, you know, whatever sport it is that you're playing, watch the whole game. Don't turn on SportsCenter at 11 o'clock to see the highlights or jump on Twitter to see the highlights as they're going on. Watch the whole game, you know, learn the pressure situations, learn that, you know, the big leaguers do make errors, you know, they do mess up, they do strike out. They're going to show Bryce Harper hitting home runs, but how many times has he struck out? You know, what's his batting percentage with, you know, with people on base, you know, versus his single home runs. I saw that stat the other night, but, but, um, you know, things like that have, have now come to a head with this generation now. And again, I'm a father, I'm a proud father. I have a daughter that's a sophomore at Howard university and she was a four year varsity captain. I mean, four year varsity softball player, a varsity captain, um, she played soccer. She played, she ran track. She did it all. My son is a travel baseball player, a high, a high level football player, 15 years old, challenging for his varsity quarterback job at his, at his 4A high school, you know, and I've been surrounded by, you know, student athletes of this caliber, you know, whether it's coaching my son or being at my daughter's games or, and it's just difficult to reach them, you know, from our state of mind, you know, to try to say the whole game. See the whole game. Yeah, you're going to have to sit still for three hours, you know. So you fast forward to trying to coach a kid like that. Now, I did I did coach my son's youth program, but I molded them kind of in the, in the ways of the Woodbury Steelers, you know, we, you know, from those guys, the Wayne Farrells, the, the, the Bruce Connells, the Gale family. That, that's the way I taught my kids. And um, so that's what we ended up doing was creating kids in kind of an old school mentality. Yeah. But not everybody's like that because now you're dealing with a kid that, like I said, everything is at their thumbs. They can find anything they want. There's no more. I don't know. They can Google. They can research it by just saying, you know, hey, Siri, you know, who won the, the 1952 World Series? You know, hey, Google, who was the only high school in the history of high schools to win every state championship? And that's what very, we're very thunder and heard. <laughs> Three, baby, the year champions. But, um, you know, just simple things like that. It's difficult to reach them because they're, you know, they love immediate gratification. Everything is right now, right now, right now. So, and like I said, it takes different, a special kind of coach to be able to relate, de-educate them on what, what they're doing, and then re-educate them of how it should be. I'll stay with that for a second. So talk about leadership skills. If you're, if you're working with your college athletes or even even some of your high school athletes and you said de-educate and re-educate what kind of leadership skills do you want to see if you're an employer from somebody who walks somebody who's walking in in the door from a uh, from a college or either as an intern or for a full-time job well leadership is you know is subjective you know a lot of people look at it in certain ways but you can't really Put, a, put it in a pinhole. But there are different types of leaders. But leaders are, you know, exemplary. You want to be exemplary. You want to be confident. You want to be a, a mover of men or women or both. You want to be able to have that genesis quoi when you walk in the room. You know, like you walk in the room, your shoulders are back, your chest is out, and they're like, wait a minute, that's a guy I need to listen to. You know, or that's a woman that I need to listen to. Um, I always tell my student athletes, everybody's going to have the same resume but what's going to happen when you walk in the room versus when they walk in the room, you know, just about a presence. So when you can come in and you can make your presence felt and you can, you know, express that confidence, talk clearly, you know, into, you know, speak intelligently, 
talk and make sure that everybody understands where you're coming from. And again, like when I went to grad school at Coppin State University, you know, one of my one of my biggest things in education uh, was talking about those three principles where, I, you know, the best the best teachers, the best coaches are those that can relate. Then you de you have to relate to them first. They want to have a relationship. You relate with them, you de-educate them on what they think is the, is, is the deal and what they're supposed to be doing now, you know, from all the society, like I said, the social media life, you know, de-educate them from that. And then you re-educate them. And the people that can re-educate them are those that have experienced it all. I like to say, I'm, I, you know, I've got a, you know, kind of a perfect storm. I was born in the 70s. I have older brothers that played in the 70s. I was an 80s baby. You know, I was an 80s, you know, athlete. My high school career was all in the late 80s. You know, then I played college in the early 90s. And then I actually coached through the 90s. I've coached college sports from 96 all the way to 2017. So I've seen the whole diaspora of, you know, good leadership, bad leadership, you know, to the point of where, you know, leaders are being born. And through my programs, I have, I, I am proud of every student athlete that I've coached and I have some folks in some very high positions. Even I've had, I've had coaches, you know, I've coached kids that have gone to the highest of their sport, whether it be the Olympics, whether it be the NFL, you know, major league baseball, wherever. But, um, yeah, the thing that, you know, is mainly just being relatable. You know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of athletes have that quality and that's something that we emphasize. Like, yo, you have you were a leader in your team. Even if you weren't a leader in the team, you probably spoke up. I encourage everybody to speak up, you know. And so, yeah, a lot of them just, you know, need to realize that, you know, take those experiences and relate to folks and be great leaders. So the, the I love the, what you said about <clears throat> that person who walks in gets noticed. So what are those characteristics to be memorable when you are not when you're a, con- a not confident college kid? So you just talked about posture. You talked about relatability. What are what are some other skills that and characteristics that you think uh, kids have and they don't believe they have? Right. Right. Well, a lot of people. I, I tell some people. Uh, well, I've always taught my 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 children. You know, some people aren't born to be number twos, and you'll know. Like I said, when uh, I have a situation where my son, you know, you know my family, we're a bunch of skinny kids, skinny kids from Packard Avenue. Okay, but we have three Division One student athletes come out of that that one household. So um, my son is a skinny kid, just like the Harrisons were. He's five eleven, about one hundred and forty five pounds, soaking wet. We go to a football camp at William and Mary, and you know he's fifteen year old kid, and you know they kind of put him to the side. They don't really pay too much attention to him until the camp starts. And then the camp starts, he jumps to the front of the lines because he's not allowed to be in the back of the lines, and he's looking super sharp during the drills. And he's just killing. And by the end of the camp, you know, he's getting attention from a couple of schools, come up and talk to him. Um, and the William and Mary quarterback coach in particular pulls me to the side and pulls him to the side and says, hey, I want to tell you one thing. When I saw you, I didn't think that the skills were going to come out of you the way that I saw you in these drills. He said, I need you when you show up to throw your shoulders back, stick your chest out and let everybody know that you are the S.H.I.T., without saying a word. And those are the type of things that great leaders have. If you can walk into a room and your presence is felt, and some of these um, student athletes don't even know that they have that quality of just walking in with confidence, you know, being the first one to speak in the room, being the one that can extend the conversation instead of a yes, sir, yes, ma'am, 
No, sir. No, ma'am. And, and that's the end of the conversation. They're looking for that. There's a program um, called the uh, the Posse Scholarship, um, where it's a program where they, they interview folks from the inner cities um, and they give them full scholarships to certain schools. Bucknell is one of them. Uh, Cornell, University of Wisconsin, um, Lafayette. There's some other schools. I forget all of them. But the program is a screening process. You have to go through this intense screening process, and they are weeding out people. And the first test that they do is they put all the candidates, about 50 of them, in a room and say nothing to them and just observe. Who's going to be the first one to start a conversation with somebody? Who's going to have everybody gravitate towards them with their conversation? You know, who's going to do what? Who's going to, you know, who's going to find relatability? Who's going to be able to do all those things? And that is the beginning process. And people get eliminated from that room before they even get to an interview. So that's the kind of things that I love seeing because we, I like preparing my student athletes and everybody for those type of situations. So, um, but yeah, but a lot of them don't understand that if you can just have a, hold a conversation, hold a conversation with someone because a lot of them don't know they have it because all they do is text all day or they type all day, you know, or they watch, you know, their computer all day. So if you can hold a conversation, you are in there. Two skills that I always hear when I have guest lectures come in and they talk about what they're looking for for interns or college athletes, as they say, as you said, look, everybody's resume is going to look the same coming out of college. We know you don't have experience, so right. we're looking for relatability and coachability. Oh, absolutely. And yep. then, and then leadership, as you said, that person who stands out because of the way they carry themselves. And it's hard to teach confidence. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that, I, I think that's what is, a, a, there's a big struggle in the college, in, in, in college students. And how can they believe in themselves if they already have grown up in in a, in a world in which they're not forced to communicate Absolutely. as adults in one-to-one manners. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a lost so, art. And this, so the podcast Mark is called the experience of you. And I want to know how you've experienced that you try and create for others that have interacted with you over the years and what you find your skills and characteristics are what's the experience of mark harrison <laughs> but it can be summed up in one thing if you don't believe you don't belong and all of my athletes will always say good lord if i could if i could hear him say that one more time um and and like i said it's a twofold thing when 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 i first started saying that it was a mentor of mine he was an old school coach um he was an olympic coach um he was the head coach at howard university for 30 something years he retired and he came to Bowie State and his office was right next to mine. He was co- teaching health and he's right next to mine. And he taught me about that rule about if they don't believe they don't belong. And it was for my program. The program was going to be set up for your success and everything in it. Soup to nuts, dawn to dusk. It was going to be designed for your success. Mm. You believed you belonged. And then the other side of it was when we performed other places, we always had a, a rule like they will leave this meet talking about us. They will leave this stadium talking about us. Um, if you are not a part of the program, that's what we're talking about. If you know, if you don't believe you don't belong, if you didn't, you know, weren't in this program, you couldn't believe what was happening. Why were we in this little Bowie State place and we're going 
to the finals at Penn Relays in front of 30,000, 70,000 people? Why do I have a student athlete going to the U.S. national championships? Why do I have an athlete standing on the podium at the national championships in second place or third place or something like that? Um, and people were just like, how the hell, where the hell did they come from? And I was like, yeah, well, you don't know because you don't belong. You know, you don't belong to what's going on here. So you're on the outskirts looking in. And our program was, I mean, and, and that took that everywhere I've been. And like I said, it was a culmination of how I was taught from, you know, from the, from the Gale family to wearing, to Wayne Farrow, to the Gale family, to Larry Ginsburg, to Willie Murray, to those guys. Okay. To how I was coached and how I was mentored, you know, to get to where I was. And I was just blessed enough to be an education major. So I stayed in the loop with knowing what was hip and all that kind of stuff. So I have a certain relatability. So I could get those folks motivated through their, you know, you know, through their culture. You know, I always try to say if I cussed a kid out, you know, and a parent and somebody complained, I'm like, I'm just speaking to them in the vernacular that they listen to all the time. Have you been on the bus with us on the, on the road? With how many, what kind of movies they want us to watch? You know, do you listen to their music that I hear them? So, yeah, I'm just trying to show my relatability by cussing his ass out. But, <laughs> but, um, but no, it, it, it was a great, it's been a great journey. Um, I don't think I'm going to get back into coaching. I'm doing what I'm doing now, but the experience with, with a coach Harrison thing, it all summed up in those words. Um, and now I have kids that are coaching now, kids that are parents. I even had a kid call me with his fiance. He was breaking up with his fiance. And uh, I always had a thing. I told another saying, I said, um, you know, your headache cannot outweigh your contribution. You know, that that's one thing that, that you'll see a lot. There are a bunch of buttholes on some teams that are doing doing well because yeah. that coach is going to keep them on that team because they get a bonus for that bowl game or for that kid making it to nationals or whatever. They're going to get their bonus. So I'll deal with that headache a little bit because you earning me $3,000 by helping me win this championship is going to take my family on vacation for the summer. Yeah. <laughs> I'll deal with the headache. But the minute that your headache, you can't be a second stringer getting all my damn nerves. You know, you can't be a kid that doesn't get on the bus for a track trip and get on my nerves. So you have to, you know, you can't have a headache that outweighs your contribution. So mm. the kid, the kid calls me and he's like, coach, I just had to let you know. I hadn't talked to this kid in maybe 15 years. This kid is like 30 something years old now. He calls me. He's like, coach, I don't know if you're watching on social media. I was engaged. I was getting ready to get married and we got into an argument. And I told her, you know what? My coach taught me at 19 years old that if your headache outweighs your contribution, then your ass don't need to be in my life anymore. And he said, and he broke up with the girl. He was like, your headache is outweighing your contribution. And I was like, oh, Lord. I was like, it wasn't meant to be that way, big guy. But, you know, if you can relate it to your life, by all means. But that's the the experience of being with Coach Harris. And I'm proud of every student athlete I've coached. You know, like I said, I got the whole – you know, the whole spectrum from a kid that's, you know, done stupid stuff and locked up to the kids that have been, you know, might be the mayor of their of their hometown or great father, great citizen, great husband, you know. So it's like I said, it's been a hell of a ride. And I really enjoy, you know, watching them grow now because a lot of them are in their 30s now and some in their 40s. Even where I began my coaching career at Camden High School. I mean, those kids have broken every stereotype of Camden of Camden kids. Mm. Got kids creating gases in in Houston. Social workers, you know, some of them went to. I have a couple kids that went to the NFL. Some that are have been, you know, um, government officials, business owners. All these kids were on one team that I coached at Camden High School. So principals. I got three kids that are principals from those teams. So, um, you know, it's just been a hell of a ride. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. So I, I love those words. Uh, if you give me that, give that again. The one, if you, if you don't believe you don't belong. Don't believe you don't belong. That's right. Don't believe you don't. don't I'm belong. going to use that, steal that copiously there. My okay, friend. I might have to copyright that one now that Coach Moultrie's gone. He passed. I on. really love that. <laughs> yeah. That's my, that's, that's my saying though. If you ask any of my athletes, especially track and field, you'll hear, you'll hear them say that. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. That's Coach Harrison saying. You don't believe you don't belong. And that is true of anybody getting out of college and trying to enter the job market or business world. Because if they don't believe in themselves, they're putting yes. up barriers to their own success. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. Mark, I can't thank you enough. Man, I appreciate the time, man. Conversation. Oh, yeah. You guys can follow Mark at, at TrackCoach1911. Yep. For at track coach nineteen eleven Twitter Instagram is uh, coach underscore mjh. Okay, and that nineteen eleven as I <clears throat> talked to you earlier about that was your two hundred meter time in one of your dreams. Uh, I wish. Now that is the greatest uh, fraternity on earth. That is Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated. Love it, love it. Got brothers like Michael Jordan, Shaquille O'Neal, Jesse Jackson. You know those kind of guys. That's perfect. Mark, thanks so much for joining me. I appreciate the time, Dave. Take it easy. All right. All right. Thanks for listening to the experience of you. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others who are currently trying to land a job, transition careers, or are looking to improve their professional brand. To catch all the latest workshops, resources, and insights from the Career Coach Pros community, you can follow us on Instagram at Career Coach Pros and on Twitter at Career Coach Pros. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.